So I had a milestone yesterday. Uh, Boo Bear hit a dyslexic dream age, 11. Thank you for thinking that was funny. Uh, <laughs> dyslexic dream, 11, either way you look at it. It's not funny if you have to explain it. 22, 33, 44, okay, got it, okay, good. Still not laughing, okay, got it. So he turns 11 yesterday, right? And I was kind of reflecting back on his life a little bit uh, and, and kind of the, the man boy that he's, you know, he's become. And I think we're phasing out Boo Bear, by the way. His real name's Eric, if anybody's interested. Uh, uh, he hasn't, like, come up against it yet, but I think that day is coming. You know, by his, like, 30, 32 or something, or at his wedding, he's not, you know, do you take this Boo Bear to take, you know, I, I don't think it's going to work much. So, uh, uh, I was reflecting back, and I don't know if you know this, but when we moved here, Boo was, uh, he was still two years old. Uh, he uh, was just about to turn turn three um, because we moved here in in August. But uh, I was thinking about just like the massive changes that in maturity and 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 things you know that used to be really cute when he was two years old that now is just kind of not tolerable. Uh, there was a there was a kind of a transition period where, uh, you know, we used to feed him, right? We just, he fed, we fed him all the time, and, and he couldn't feed himself, and uh, I remember one day, you know, he couldn't, you know, he never really didn't have the motor skills when he was little to cut his own waffle and eat, and eat it uh, himself, and, and he would always just wait. He got to this point where you know, he, he just would wait for us to cut his waffle and uh, wouldn't do it himself. And he was definitely at the age, you know, I mean, he was shaving and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, you would figure that, that he could cut his own waffle. And I don't know who to credit this with. It was probably me, but it sounds really nasty, so it's probably Shannon. Uh, that, uh, <laughs> boy, you guys are tough this morning. Lighten up. Holy cow. That he was just sitting there, and, and, and we were all, you know, eating our waffles, which are superior to pancakes, by the way, just to let you know. But we were sitting there eating, and he was just sitting there, and he's all like, well, aren't you going to cut my waffle? And one of us, in just frustration, just like, dude, cut your own waffle. You know, it was just that point of frustration. I mean, it just, it was just like, all right, you know, you're, you're clearly old enough, you know, you, you know you're, you're like world champion of Mario Brothers or Donkey Kong and everything. Surely you can cut your own waffle. And it took actually a long time for him to just kind of like take ownership of actually cutting his own waffle and, and feeding himself. And as we talk about maturity today, I think that that's, that's really where we kind of, we lie, at, that, that, you know, I can't tell you how many people uh, have come through here and, uh, over the past eight years, seven years, and one of their first statements to me is, you know, I left my other church because they weren't feeding me. That's the worst thing to say to me. 
because I just want to say, cut your own waffle, dude. Like, I've been in, I was at that church for 10 years, and they weren't cutting my waffle anymore, so I want you to cut it, my waffle, for the next 10 years. You know, there's a really good church, waffle-cutting church down this area. You should go check them out. I mean, it's not my job, it's not your job to continually feed people. It's our job to teach them to cut their own waffle, right? And that's what we're really talking about today is like, how do we get there? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's talking a little bit about this. This is his own kind of cut your own waffle speech. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. Why? Because they were infants, right? I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in your Christian life. I had to feed you. I had to cut your own, cut your waffle with milk, not solid food, because you just weren't ready for anything stronger. But obviously they, they had developed a little bit, right? That they, they were able to, to take on a little bit more. Not much if you go continue in that, in that chapter, but they weren't quite there yet. But this idea of, of maturity, and part of maturity is being able to feed yourself. In fact, there's only two people in this world that need to be fed or they will die. And that's infants and invalids. Infants and invalids. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with invalid, or infants or invalids for a time being. Like, I... We loved our two infants. We loved feeding them. You know, Shannon loved getting up at 2 a.m. and in, in feeding the kids. It was like just her, her dream, right? I mean, it's just stuff that you do as, as somebody is mature. You, you, you don't begrudge feeding an infant. I mean, you kind of, that, that's just part of it. You understand it. But there, there's a point where you just look at the, you know, an infant who's now, you know, eight, nine years old, and it's like, dude, cut your own waffle. Stick a fork in it, put it in your mouth, chew. Right? Not doing it for you anymore. And then there's invalids. And, and you know what? People become invalids, you know, they, they, they get hurt in life. And our society, we, you know, that, that there's nothing wrong with that. It's not that they're bad people. They, they've been injured. And, and there's, there's some people that, that, you know, your hope is that, you know, you send them to, to kind of rehabilitation and that, you know, the goal is to be able to, hopefully, one of the first goals is that they can take care of themselves, they can feed themselves, and things like that. And you hopefully grow past that mark. But unfortunately, in our churches, in a lot of our churches, that we've kind of got to this place where, where the mark of a good church is if they are able to keep people as spiritual infants and spiritual invalids. And I'm telling you that that is not biblical, and it's, it's downright just kind of immoral. 
that, that we need to be encouraging one another to be living out the life that God has envisioned for us. And, and that means that we have to learn how to feed ourselves. You know, and it, it's great. You know, when I, I went on a cruise with, uh, uh, for my parents' 50th wedding anniversary this summer, and it was great just being served food all the time, and then they would come and clean up the dishes and stuff like that uh, for a week. And, and that was fantastic for that week, but that's not real life. Real life and how you make it through life is, you know what, you got to think about what's good for you and what you want to put in your body. Real life is going to the supermarket and buying something that's within your budget. Real life is coming back and, and cooking it and then, and then serving it and then eating it and then cleaning up and then moving forward. That's maturity. That, that's becoming a, a person who is a contributor and not just a consumer. So, the Bible, Paul outlines uh, some uh, nine marks, really, of, of spiritual maturity. And, and we're going to fly through these. There's no way today I'm going to be able to uh, give these justice by any stretch of the imagination. But basically, this is a great a, gr- a great just kind of uh, uh, thing to do, right? Because I'm going to say, hey... Here, here's the menu. Now, this week, I want you to go and, 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 and go get it. And I want you to prepare it. And I want you to serve it in some growth groups with one another. And, and, and devour it and then clean it up at the end and, and use that energy to go forth and do something with your faith. So, you know, you'll probably leave today and go, wow, that was a shallow talk. I need to go find a place that, that gives me meat, that feeds me, down the street. Okay. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. Paul lines out or outlines these nine things that, that, that are, are indicators of spiritual maturity. They're love, joy, patient, or peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I wanted just to kind of really touch upon those uh, today as we, as we go through, just so we have a kind of an understanding of what those things are. Here at E3, we say um, that we want to make mature and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ. And, you know, what is a fully devoted follower of Christ? Someone who lives out the five loves, right? Loves God with all of their their, their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength, and equally as important, loves their neighbor as their self. And right at the top of this list, Paul says love. This is what is a first indicator of somebody who is spiritually mature. In Romans 5.5, 5, Paul talks about love this way. He says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. Now, check out what happens because we know that God so dearly loves us and he sent his son to die for us so we can have the opportunity to have a relationship with him. Because of that, he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. To be spiritually mature, number one, you have to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and and he gives you the counselor, the, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit 
gives us gifts, but he also gives us the ability to love. Uh, a love that transcends understanding that the world just can't understand. There's a famous author that uh, is famous for just asking questions and never really resolving anything. And uh, he asked the question in one of his books, you know, talking about, about this commandment of love. You know, you know, what is love? You know, love, you know, to somebody who is in Asia is different from love in someone who lives in, you know, uh, San Bernardino, uh, California, or Monticello, or, or something like that. So who's to say, you know, what love is? Can we really know what love is? The answer to that is yes. Because God gives us exactly what love is. And if you've been to any sort of a wedding in the past, you know, 10 years, you've heard this scripture of exactly what love is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It, love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Tough words. I mean, you think about that, a love that doesn't persevere through every circumstance is not perfect love. This is the kind of the first thing that, that this, this, this high watermark of what love is and a characteristic of someone who is spiritually mature, that their identity is, is known of this uh, as godly love for their brothers and sisters and others. The next one is joy. And this is something that I think you know, is, is severely lacking in the American church today. We talked a lot about that in immersion. Paul talks about joy this way, Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, talking about that, all this bad stuff that's going on in the church. And he says, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So what does he do? So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. I think that's really difficult. Now, what I believe Paul is saying here about joy and rejoicing in the Lord is he takes this example of something that would make just about every single one of us who claim we are followers of Christ and have a high view of Scripture uh, just run out the door screaming. I mean, he's talking about bad doctrine. He's saying, look— you know what? This is like the worst thing that can happen in the church. This is what Paul's talking about. These guys are spewing this, this, this you know, uh, scubalong kind of gospel, or, or at least doctrine, that, that has no place in the church. But you know what? As bad as that is, I am still rejoicing because they are telling you at least the true gospel that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he died for your sins. And this kind of this understanding of rejoicing to God through every circumstance, to have, not have a, a, a faith or, or a joy that is based in the circumstance, but a joy that is based in Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, 
Paul goes on to say some this. So you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you in, uh, imitate both us and the Lord. Again, talking about not having, having a faith that transcends circumstance. And that's the second really characteristic of somebody who is spiritually mature. Because I can tell you, someone who's not spiritually mature, when, when bad things come their way, they'll say, well, well, what's God doing here? You know, God, God wants me to be happy. Why is, why is God allowing this in my life? Now, you're not probably going to like this, but hopefully, you know, you, this, you know, you don't need to take milk right now. This is, this is meat. You may throw it up because it's too early, but just know. God is more concerned about your obedience than he is your happiness. It's just reality. God has a vision for your life, and you know what? There are, there are people who are trying to hijack that and then our own broken and messy, just kind of selfish desires kind of uh, just pollute that vision. But ultimately, God is more concerned about your obedience than your happiness. And he's more concerned about your joy in him than your temporary happiness. The next one is peace. You know, and I, I think this is one thing that we are all really lacking in in, in in this world. I mean, it's hard to have peace, right, when there's wars happening and genocide and, and, and the economy is tanking and, and all, you know, everybody's bickering and, and all of this stuff. I mean, how do you have peace in the, in the midst of all of that conflict? And Paul talks a little bit about, you know, this, this idea of having peace in Christ and peace in the knowledge. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Let me say that again. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Isn't that true? I mean, there's a lot of death in this world. Why? Because... A lot of people have allowed their broken nature, their sinful nature, take control, and it has led to destruction. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Life and peace. In Romans 14, 17, he says this. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. And we talked about the kingdom of God a few weeks ago, what the kingdom of God is and what the kingdom of God is not. Remember, you know, Jesus is the destination. You know, this would make, make no sense if, if uh, you know, the location is not what you eat or drink. Well, yeah, of course not. It doesn't make any sense. Being part of Christ is not a, a matter of what you eat or drink or, or, or what you wear or what church you go to or what you drive or, or anything that you can put in there. What the kingdom of God is, is living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, this idea of living in peace and letting the peace of God control our minds, the truth of God control our heart and our soul and our, our minds, and, and to control our actions 
and be the tangible Christ in this, this hostile world and be the, the voice of love in this hostile, hostile world is the indicator of our maturity level. Patience. Thank you for finding that was funny. You guys aren't laughing at any of my jokes today. Better start laughing or I'm going to stop telling jokes. Okay, or <laughs> there you go. Hebrews 6, 6, chapter 12, about patience. It's talking about the writer of Hebrews here is, is uh, trying to indicate just this idea of, of, of waiting on the Lord and 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 uh, uh, not becoming spiritually dull. The writer says, Then you will not become spiritually dull or indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's problems because of their faith and endurance. And one thing that I've learned as an endurance athlete doing the triathlons and everything, yes, grown, I'm going to give you a triathlon kind of example here, is that you know you can't win the race in, in one one stroke or, or one pedal or 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 one stride. That it's a thing of endurance. And and the way that you get to the prize is is being consistent. And kind of this this idea of, of patience and endurance and waiting and waiting for the Lord. It's does it this is not an idea of of you're just sitting idly. I know a lot of people think, oh I'm just gonna wait on on the Lord. And I'm going to wait, and I'm going to wait, and I'll wait. You may be waiting on an answer for God, from God in a, in a specific instance or, uh, or, or, or scenario in your life, but that doesn't negate everything that you're meant to be doing while you're waiting. Waiting is just not sitting. Waiting is waiting on God for a specific direction and a specific thing. But, but we do know that we're meant to love God and love people and be out there actively living that out. James in James 5, 7 through 11 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and then the spring. They, e they eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. And this idea of, you know what, we know. We talked about last week, we talked about our great commission of going out and making disciples and teaching new disciples and, and baptizing these new disciples. <laughs> we are meant to be a very active kind of uh active people of faith in the midst of our patience of the ultimate return of Christ Jesus. Kindness. 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 6, that Paul says that this indicator of our spiritual maturity is this. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and our sincere love. He also says in Colossians chapter 3, 12, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then finally in 2 Peter verses 1 and 7, 
and, go- and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection for love for everyone. I personally think that a lot of times, you know, the church as a whole, followers of Christ, we miss this one, this kindness. Like, we think that big T truth trumps kindness. That, that we want to, you know, erect, you know, a, a big T truth and, and wallop somebody over the head with it and bludgeon them until they accept it. But is that kind? Is that gentle? Is that, is, that, is that kind? And I think that, you know, there's a lot of danger, and I think immature, you, you know, people like, uh, you know, kids growing up, you can give them a whole set of instructions, right? Parents, is that true? That's true. You can give them a whole set of instructions, and they'll just focus in on, on one thing on that instruction and kind of do that. And, and, and they're like, hey, did you do what I told you to do? And it's like, and they're like, yeah. And then you go and see what they did, and it's like nothing that you told them to do. And they're like, well, you said go into the room. Well, yeah, go into the room and clean it up and do all this stuff. It's like, oh, you know, and that's kind of like this idea that with Christians and kindness, it's like go tell people the truth but, and, and, but, and forget all the other parts of, of being kind and gentle and loving to people. I mean, truth is truth, but truth is not meant to injure. Truth is meant to set you free. Goodness, Paul writes in Romans, I am fully convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well you can teach others about them. Kind of this idea of yada, right? Knowing God by experience. This Hebrew word yada of, 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 of knowing things because they are in your life. And because they are in your life that as an extension you can just be able to, to teach other people in, in, in your actions and in your deeds and when necessary in words. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is tough. Because faithfulness is usually the first thing to go when things get tough in your life. Faithfulness in, in, in being a follower of Christ, you know. Faithfulness in loving God holistically and in loving others as yourself. Faithfulness in being an active part of a community of faith and, and being part in serving and giving and, and loving other people and all of this kind of thing. It goes along with being part of the family of God. You see, the family of God is just not you and God. The family of God is you and God and all of his adopted sons and daughters. We're a group package. And this, this idea of being faithful, being faithful in the things that God calls us, but what happens is when adversity, you know, the winds of adversity start blowing through our life, that we start saying, well, I don't need to do that, or I'm not ta- it's not time to do that. I need to just kind of like suck it all in and just take care of myself and isolate myself. And that's what immature people do. I mean, that's what infants and invalids do. And 
And if you're there, you know, I understand that, that, that you may need to do that. And that's okay if that's where you are. But we're talking about where we are going. We're talking about the, the target in the future is to be able to finally live a life in Christ that, that you know what? You are faithful through every circumstance. Sickness and health, you know. Through uh, hard times, through the good times, that, that you are faithful through all of those things. Two more. Gentleness. Jesus modeled gentleness. I mean, Jesus was the truth and the light. No one comes to the Father except through him. He had the big T truth that he could have walloped people with. But that's not how he interacted with people. He interacted with people with, with this gentle shepherd kind of persona. That, that In Matthew 11, he says this. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You see, the whole thing about being a follower of Christ is allowing Christ to carry the burden and then us to follow him. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, As apostles of Christ, we certainly had the right to make some demands on you. But instead... We were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. I mean, is there a better picture of gentleness than that as a mother breastfeeding? I mean, that, that, that is about as gentle as you can get. And this is the image of, of, of follower of Christ, of this, this idea of in our truth. That we are to be gentle with people. Gentle with their hearts and their souls and their minds. And to love them into the vision that God has envisioned for them. And then the final one, self-control. I don't like self-control personally, but, but I mean, it's, 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 it, it's one of these things that... that you know, it's a mark of spiritual maturity, right? You know, how many of you parents have, you know, your, your child is just losing it, and you're like, get control of yourself, right? You know, in the old movies, like when, like a woman was like hysterically yelling, they would slap her. You know, get control of yourself, woman. You can't do that anymore. And I'm glad about that. <laughs> See, that wasn't so hard to laugh, right? It makes you feel good. In Titus, not second Titus, if you look in your, in your, uh, your fridge fold, apparently they uh, removed second Titus, so we had to go with first Titus here. Uh, three, three. There's nothing about maturity that says, you, well, never mind. <laughs> Once we, too, were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. 
kind of this idea of just giving yourself into anything, you know, not having self-control, and kind of the path that that leads to. You know, when I talk to, uh, you know, kids or, or, or um, even adults, really, just, you know, they, they're on a certain sort of path, and or they, they're, they're not exhibiting self-control. That they're dabbling in, in, you know, some recreational drugs or, or you know, maybe sleeping around a little bit or, or you know, and just kind of like starting out on this, on this kind of journey. And I and always, you know, they're like, oh, I just want to do it. You know, this kind of this lack of self-control. I just want to do it, so I'm going to do it. And I always ask them, you know, to help them look down the line and, and say, where, where do these actions lead? You know, can you think about, about people who've gone down this path? Let me tell you about my life and the path, you know, that, that I went down and where I found it ultimately ended. And I always finish it up. Why do you think it's going to be any different for you than it has been for anyone else? I mean, that's where self-control comes in is just saying, you know what? I, and that's a part of maturity. You know, immature people, you know, when you're with your kids or something, we control them. We control what they eat, what they see, you know, what they do. But as mature people, as mature adults, and as people who are mature in our faith, that we have to do it ourselves because there's not someone there to do it for us anymore. So those are the, the nine kind of hallmarks of, of spiritual maturity. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And kind of as a church, I want to leave you with two verses of just uh, what our responsibility as the church and our responsibility as mature followers of Christ are to other people. First is in First Timothy, focus on reading scripture to the church, encouraging believers and teaching them. Our responsibility is to feed people in the sense of giving them the word of God and, and then, but not just leaving it there, encourage them to open up the Bibles themselves, encourage them to cut their own waffle, to encourage them to feed themselves. And then not only st stopping there, finally teaching them how to do that, teaching them what it looks like to be a mature follower of Christ. And then in Hebrews 10, think of us, think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And, not, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Kind of this idea of encouraging people, encouraging them to acts of love and good deeds, to be living out this, this full, joyous life in the Lord. Will you guys pray with me? Dear God, I just... Um, Thank you for the clarity that you give to us on what it means to have maturity in you. Thank you for these uh, indicators of what spiritual maturity is and that we can kind of assess that in our own lives. 
God, I pray for the growth groups that will be meeting this week and just discussing this and discussing what it, what it really means to be full in you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.